0: It's really great to see that a good number of you came back for the second night of our mission. So, before we begin our talk, why don't we go ahead and start like we did yesterday with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, for, for those who were here last night and want to recap, those who were not here and kind of want to know what we're talking about, we're reflecting on Luke chapter 24 it's the story of Resurrection Day and the road to Emmaus. So we sort of use the word exodus, the road out to describe the action, the disciples leaving Jerusalem and to head to this place called Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the church. They're leaving the house of God. And Christ intercepts them on the way and he asks them questions. He draws near to them. He listens to them doesn't judge them, it receives their story, and how this sets us as a sort of a paradigm, an example of how we should reach out to our friends and family members who have often left the church, who are on their own road to Emmaus. And so tonight we want to spend some time focusing on the middle section, the actual walking and talking that happens in today's passage. Before we do, just like usually whenever I preach a mission, I give a talk, but then I start realizing, oh, I forgot some stuff. Some little things that I could have added that maybe next time I give this mission, I'll have a little bit more to say about it. The first is, as the disciples are leaving, are they actually trying to hide? Are they really trying to avoid something? To get out of town... So they don't have to face reality, so they don't have to be seen. Kind of like John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman who goes and draws water at the height of the day so that no one's there. And there's sort of their disappointment and their shame. Maybe they were bragging to their friends about the Messiah is going to come and beat everybody up. But it didn't happen. And so they're embarrassed, so they leave. But Christ still goes out to meet them. And he listens to them, but more importantly, he's like, you don't need to hide. I I I see you. It's okay. It sort of reminded me of Adam and Eve in the garden. As they leave as a result of their shame, God here instead goes out and says, no, it's time to come back. But he walks with them for a little bit of time. Also, just the real vulnerability. Of them sharing their hearts, their pain with Jesus, or actually this complete stranger. They didn't know who it was. And so this need to be able to reveal ourselves to Christ or to others. So often we have this pain, this disappointment, this sadness, and we just keep it in. Because we're just going to grin and bear it. Or we feel stupid or crazy to tell other people how we really feel. And we feel disappointed. But here, instead, they reveal themselves to another person, ultimately to Jesus. But as we saw, Jesus often comes to us as other people. And then Jesus listens, and that's the third point, I guess, from last night. He listens, but he's just like, oh, I've got to listen to these people talk until I can tell them the truth. No, he actually cares. The Lord really wants to receive. He's interested in. And getting to know their pain and their disappointment. He wants to know their hearts. He's not just asking questions. He wants to know them as individuals and what they're going through. Some points that kind of came up as I was working on the talk today. But let's jump into the next part of the story. They've just explained their disappointment to Jesus. Why they've left. Their sadness and their sorrow. And Jesus... Is listen to them and ask questions. So let's go to the next sections. This is going to be verse twenty-five to twenty-nine. And Jesus said to them, "O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" And beginning with Moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they were but they constrained him, saying, "Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now forespent. spent." So he went in to stay with them. So we're going to look at these pass this passage here, these few verses, and sort of break it down. And again try to understand what's going on in the passage, more importantly, applying it to our own lives, and in the way that Jesus does come to us in our own disappointment. I know yesterday we really focused upon us going out to others, but sometimes we are like the two disciples of the road to Emmaus. We want to leave. We're struggling with the church. We're struggling with faith. So the words today that we talk about not only apply to our reaching out to our friends and family who may have left the church, but we're also sort of speaking to us in the way that Christ decides to minister to us when we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus. And again, I'm going to be using some of the insights from Pope Francis, who really helped me in his own writing have a better understanding of the meaning of these passages. The first thing to notice is this. He listens He lets them explain, but then he says, I'm going to tell you how to understand this. He sort of is very harsh with them at first. Foolish men, don't you know that this is supposed to happen? All the scriptures pointed to it. That Jesus ultimately helps them to see these events that brought sadness and disappointment in a different perspective. To help them see in a different light. When I was studying in Rome, I would often give tours of St. Peter's Basilica. And there's a part where I would try to use this as a tool for evangelization. People coming in and to be able to show them the basilica and how they could come closer to Jesus. And on the outside, if you've ever been there, there's the beautiful colonnade from Bernini welcoming people into the basilica. And if you stand, you can see that there are four columns deep. But there are two parts in the, in the piazza that if you stand, everything comes into line. And the architects designed it this way. And so it was always amazing that people would ooh and ah, how do they do that without computers and everything? I can't explain how they did it without computers and everything. I'm not an engineer, but someone here might be able to do it. But the fact is, I would say, you're going to see things from a different perspective today. I hope when you go through St. Peter's that I help you see things in a different light. And so, from their perspective, it looks like the Messiah failed. That Jesus was a failure. But he helps them to see, no, that's not what happened. If you go back and you look at it from the perspective of these scripture passages, Moses and the prophets, then actually... The Messiah conquered. The Messiah conquered. Probably referring to Isaiah and the suffering servant, the passages that we're going to be reading pretty soon in Lent. He helps them to what Pope Francis calls re-read the events in a different light. So this is what he says. While they were walking, he helps them reinterpret the facts in a different way, in the light of the prophecies. Of the Word of God and all that had been proclaimed to the people of Israel, to reread—that is what Jesus does with them, helping them to reread. And so He says, "Let us dwell a bit on this aspect." I also thought, for those of you who like movies, it's kind of like *The Sixth Sense*. Remember that movie from the uh, 1999? You watch the whole movie, then you get to the ending, and then you have to reread the whole movie again. From a different perspective, Jesus is like Bruce Willis, sort of. So he speaks to them, particularly going to Scripture, as we'll see, to set them free from their sadness. You've got to see this from a different perspective, from the perspective of faith. But then he does it for them, and how does he do it for us, and how can we do this for other people? Seeing our own sadness and disappointment, our own struggles with faith, seeing it in the lives of other people too, the stuff that has led people to leave the church, is that we want to be able to talk to them, encounter them, but also in our own lives for the ways that we are struggle to share it with other people the Lord may have sent to us. And be willing to be there for other people and help them to see things in a different light. To reread our history and their history in the light of Jesus. So, this is what Pope Francis says we've got to take what Jesus did to them and apply it in our lives and in the lives of others. He says it is important to reread our history together with Jesus, the story of our life a certain period of our days, with its disappointments and hopes. Besides, we too, like those disciples, faced with what happens to us, can find ourselves lost in the face of events, alone and uncertain, with many questions and worries, disappointments, many things. Today's Gospel invites us to tell Jesus everything, sincerely, without being afraid of disturbing him, He listens without fear of saying the wrong thing, without shame in our struggle to understand. The Lord is happy whenever we open ourselves up to him. He's also happy whenever we say, Lord, I'm mad at you. Why did you allow this to happen? Prophets did it all the time. We can do it too, to express what is in our hearts to the Lord. And if it's not to the Lord, then we can do it to those people that the Lord has sent to us on the way, that he comes to us in the guise of our friends and families. And so Francis is actually very practical in this. He says that he recommends a daily practice of re-reading our day in Jesus. I I love this idea. He says his practice consists of dedicating some time every evening to a brief examination of conscience. What happened today within me? That is the question. It is a matter of rereading the day with Jesus, rereading my day, opening the heart to him, bringing him to people, choices, fears, falls, and hopes, all the things that happen, to learn gradually to look at things with different eyes, with his eyes and not just our own. We can thus relive the experience of those two disciples. But in order to do this, he says, it is important to drop our defenses, to leave time and space for Jesus, not to hide anything from him, to bring him our miseries, to let ourselves be wounded by his truth, to let our heart vibrate at the breath of his word. So basically, he's saying we've got to be vulnerable. We have to open our hearts To pour out our anger, to pour out our frustration, to pour out our shame, and to say, Lord, I want to reread this in your light. How do you want me to see it? How are you present in these things? So it's a little bit more than the normal examination of conscience where we look at our sins. We're trying to say, Jesus, I want to understand what happened this day as you do. But it takes a lot of vulnerability, a lot of vulnerability. And so we ask the Lord to do it with us, but we're also called to help others. Those people who maybe have left the church, who've gone through terrible struggles, to help them see how Christ was actually present in that time of darkness. In their own sufferings and pain and despair, we can help others reread their lives in view of Christ. It's like if you're trying to explain to your children or if you're a teacher to your students how to understand the work of literature. They say it doesn't make any sense. Let me tell you the symbolism. Let me tell you what the author was trying to say. We can do that to other people's lives. To help them see Christ walking with them in ways that maybe they never did before. Or to see how actually a failure or this great tragedy led to something good, led to something profound, that sort of gave purpose to their lives. One of the stories that I always tell, and I have a number of these, and this is just such an important one, and I remember it so, so, so clearly. There was a woman in my first parish, and she was really suffering from sort of this morbid obesity as a result of some medical condition. And I remember she was living in the garage. They couldn't get her into the house. And she was so miserable and depressed. Not only that the Lord had allowed her to have this. This was totally beyond her control. But that her family didn't want her in the house. Wasn't willing to really bring her in the house. Or that they wouldn't come out to her very often. And I went to see her. And she's so miserable and depressed. And I, I don't have an answer for her. I sat and I said... I can't give an answer, but I can tell you that maybe if we can find some way, to you find purpose in this? That Jesus is present in the sufferings, maybe things could change. And it just so happened that one of the, the, the parishioners just entered the seminary. And so said, this is my idea. I want you to be able to take your sufferings and offer them for this young man that he becomes a good priest. I remember her face lit up. See Christ in your sufferings. And offer them up. Maybe the Lord allowed you for this to happen. And so she totally changed. I went back a month later. And she was a different person. Still struggling. But there was so much hope. She could see Christ walking with her in those sufferings. She died a few months later. But it was several years later that that young man became a priest. And I told him. I said, this woman is probably the reason you're a priest. Never forget her powerful story in so many ways that we can help others reread their lives in the light of faith. The best way to do it is to do what Jesus did, to use the scriptures. And again, I want to really make a comment about this, not just quoting passages and saying, well, the Bible says that you should offer your sufferings up. Be willing to go deep with them, to be able to take passages, to read it to them. Ask them what they're thinking about this. or in their own lives, Lord, how can I see myself in this scripture passage? It could be Joseph sold into slavery, Peter's failure, denial of Christ, the prodigal son, even the road to Emmaus. Because we believe that whether we can see it or not, we encounter Christ in the word. That's why I really think in this sort of journeying as Christ explains scripture shows us the power of Bible studies. Again, they're Catholics, that's a Protestant thing. No, we gave the world the Bible. We should be able to study it. And I saw this work at UL. We had Bible studies for students. We had hundreds of young people in Bible studies where the leader of the Bible study may have four, five, six other students, but they were able to talk to them, to guide them, to disciple them. They were discipled and reached in the Bible studies and there were so many conversions of people coming back to Mass, coming back to the Eucharist. They didn't want to come to the Mass right away, as we're going to see tomorrow. But they were able to come to the Bible and then go deeper in their faith. So I hear that you all have some Bible studies here at Mary, Queen of Peace. I want to encourage you, get involved in a Bible study. Learn to see Christ in Scripture so that you're able to use the word To bring consolation and hope to the lives of others. But as I said yesterday, Christ walks beside these individuals, but they don't recognize him. And so the same thing, this can happen in our lives. This whole entire discussion, they don't know it's Jesus. He walks with them for a very long time. Not until they have eyes to see can they perceive Jesus. But we're called on the way to be able to try to see the Lord in our lives, walking with us, talking to us, present to us. And Pope Francis says this, we have all had difficult moments in life, dark moments in which we walked in sadness, pensive, without horizons, with only a wall before us. And Jesus is always beside us to give us hope. To warm our hearts and say, go ahead, I am with you. The secret of the road that leads to Emmaus is simply this. Despite appearances to the contrary, we continue to be loved and God will never stop loving us. God will walk with us always, always, even in the most painful moments, even the worst moments, even in moments of defeat. That is where the Lord is and that is our hope. Let us go forward with this hope because he is beside us and always walks with us. We're going to see this message of hope a little bit later on. Christ is present even though we can't see him. It's like Aslan, the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia. He's always there in the background even though you can't see him. So part of this rereading our day in Christ is learning to try to pay attention to seeing the Lord as he acts in our lives particularly if he is present to us through others. But often we don't want to do that. We're just going to rely on Jesus alone. And that's good, but that can also be spiritual self-reliance. I don't want to be vulnerable with my spouse. I don't want to be vulnerable with my friends and tell them that I'm struggling. The Lord does indeed send his people. We have got to be willing to notice it, as we talked about last night. But here's the heart of the matter. So often, as we are walking and hopefully rereading our day or our life in Christ in these sufferings, we are looking for answers. Why did this terrible thing happen to me? Why did God allow this in my life? And sometimes, as good as it may seem, our looking for answers, we're actually looking for control. And if I can figure out why this happened, then it all makes sense and it won't hurt as much. But I say this in our own lives, and particularly when we're facing other people who might be looking for answers, who are in pain, who have left the church. You cannot reason someone out of a position they did not reason themselves into in the first place. Oh, you're suffering everything. Let me tell you what this means. They're probably not going to listen because quite possibly they're on the road to Emmaus, not because they thought it out, but because they are filled with shame, pain and suffering. And explaining to them or telling them exactly what happened and what it means is only going to push them away. They need something else. And it's actually the real thing that Jesus gives to the apostles. And this is a lesson I learned last year from someone I am walking with and accompanying. An individual who has a great heart, but terrible suffering and prayed for so long for answers of, Lord, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why this protracted suffering? And it was in prayer that she realized she was asking the wrong question. That she shouldn't be asking, Lord, why did this happen? But instead she should ask, Lord, where were you in all of this? Where were you when I was suffering? And so she, not even knowing about what Pope Francis said, began to reread her past with Jesus. To go back in these most painful moments and to see Jesus there. And in prayer, she was able to actually, she said, feel Christ's compassion for her and her suffering. And also his anger and frustration at those who hurt her. And very gradually, her heart began the healing process She rephrased it beautifully. She said she was looking for answers, but she should have been looking for presence. And so often in our own suffering, we're looking for answers. Lord, tell me why this happened. But instead, we should be looking for his presence and trusting that he's there. It shows us, I think, the power of presence, to be aware of Christ's presence, whether it be in scripture, whether it be in the church, whether it be in the Eucharist. And in doing so, to be willing to be present to others. You don't need to explain everything. You don't need to provide answers or to fix things. We just need to be present, to be with the person who's suffering, to see them, even when they want to hide, to be able to ask, what are you going through? Tell me your story. And gradually, I can tell you, over time, our loving presence will break down walls. So this is what Jesus does. He is present to them. He walks with them on their journey. It's a word that's become very popular in the church over the course of the past 10 years. Jesus accompanies these disciples. The word accompaniment to walk with, to journey with others, specifically through difficult times, a type of friendship, if you will. I'm going to accompany you as your companion in life during these difficult times. And it's an art we can learn. Pope Francis calls it the art of accompaniment, to learn how to ask questions, to learn how to listen, to learn how to be patient, when to offer advice, and when to keep quiet. To learn prudence in this. And gradually what happens is as we accompany, as we are present, as we gain trust, not right away trying to explain everything, but gaining trust and getting to know the other person's story, then they will become ready to hear the truth. So often we just want to leave with the truth. Let me explain to you what's wrong. Let me tell you how to fix this. No, it pushes people away, particularly young people. Begin the dialogue. Let it continue until the space opens where you can come forward with the truth. But we've got to be patient and compassionate. Pope Francis mentions this when he says, Someone good at such accompaniment does not give in to frustrations or fears. He or she invites others to let themselves be healed, to take up their mat, embrace the cross, leave all behind and go forth ever anew to proclaim the gospel. Our personal experience of being accompanied and assisted and of openness to those who accompany us will teach us to be patient and compassionate with others and to find the right way to gain their trust, their openness, and the readiness to grow. So it's started saying if we're going to learn to give this to others, we've got to allow others to accompany us. We've got to be vulnerable first. We can't give what we haven't received. And so we've got to worry or work on gaining trust, taking time, speaking to people, allowing them to know we love them. Never imposing, but always proposing. Hey, have you thought about it this way? Have you read the scripture passage? Have you thought about doing this? Not, hey, you better do this, or this is what the Lord wants you to do. To propose, never impose. And it's something that I've been blessed to sort of learn over the years by being in company, accompanied by others, but accompanying others. Particularly in a college campus and now over at the seminary, I do a lot of spiritual direction. I don't really like that term so much. I prefer spiritual accompaniment. And really, on a college campus, I lived with the students for four years. It wasn't like they come once a month and i direct them. I accompanied them from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. For four years, you walk with them and living life with them. And I've learned so much from those meetings and those discussions and the times we went to coffee or the times we sat in the office. I've learned a lot more than I probably gave to anyone else. And this is actually how the Spirit teaches me in dialogue and talking with others. I'll be able to make connections and things people tell me. Ah, this makes sense. In fact, the basis of tomorrow's talk comes from some discussions that I had last week. It's insight. It was perfect to be able to apply to what we're going to talk about. It's such a blessing. It amounts to this accompaniment, whether it be as a priest and a spiritual director, or whether it be as a family member or a friend, it amounts to availability establishing a relationship being present hey i'm only a text away if you need me give me a call you're not a burden you're not a bother i'm there if you need me don't listen to the lies this is the art of accompaniment of walking with another person and i think now there are a number of books written about this of how we can do it how we can listen how we can walk How we can persevere and when to propose something, when to lead people to scripture, and when to hold back. When to hold back and let the Lord do the work directly. But here's another reality if we're ready to accompany those who have left, who are walking on the road to Emmaus, who are experiencing their pain and their suffering and their doubt and their interior turmoil. We better be ready to walk the long road, and it's going to be a slow journey. A slow journey. This is not easy for us. especially not easy for me. We like to get places fast. Boy, I was bad. The GPS told me I had an extra five minutes if I went down Carrollton straight up to the interstate. So I went all the way back, and I saved myself three minutes. I also saved myself cursing a lot of people who didn't go when the the green light was green. So I'm not in a state of sin. Well, hopefully not that type of sin, at least. But I started thinking, but if this was a hundred years ago, I'd have had to left last week to get here. And I probably got eaten by an alligator or something. I walked around like Pontchartrain. But it's so easy. Because of travel, sort of time and space have collapsed. I got here in 40 minutes. And one of the big reasons, and again, I love to talk about this. We talk about how the TV screen has changed our lives. We talk about how the phone screen has changed our lives. The real screen that changed our lives is the windshield. Think about it. The ability to get from one place to another. We are so used to things being fast. So the reality is, you can't get in your SUV and go to Emmaus. You can't get on a a Southwest flight and get to Emmaus. You've got to go there on foot. You've got to be willing to walk and take time. Why? Because if you're going to accompany someone, you've got to let them set the pace. You can't say, hey, let's get to Emmaus right now. Let's run. Let's jog. You should be there already. You should be willing to go back to adoration already. You should be loving the Pope already. No. It's their pace. Jesus goes according to their pace. But it's hard. We are attracted to things that are fast. And Pope Francis says that individuals in the church has to learn to go slow. He says people today are attracted to things that are faster and faster. Rapid internet connections, speedy cars and planes, instant relationships. But at the same time, we see a desperate need for calmness. I would even say slowness. Is the church still able to move slowly? Take time to listen, to have the patience to mend and reassemble. Or is the church herself caught up in the frantic pursuit of efficiency? Dear brothers, let us recover the calm to be able to walk the same pace as our pilgrims, keeping alongside them, remaining close to them, enabling them to speak of the disappointments present in their hearts and let let us address them. They want to forget Jerusalem, where they have their sources of pain, but eventually they will experience thirst and want to go back. We got, you can't force them. You can't know better than they know. It's like the person who's going through grief. The worst thing you could tell them is, aren't you over that by now? Haven't you mourned your loved one enough? No, What's the worst thing to say. Be present with them in their grief. I'm sorry you're suffering, but I'm here with you. We're going to get through this together. And you know what? This path not only is going to be a slow path, but it may not be a direct path. It's not going to be one straight to Emmaus. It could be a long, winding, meandering path. One that we could feel like we are lost in. I'm just finished reading a book, Hines' Feet in High Places. Some of you may have read it. This sort of allegory for the Christian message, and it's this young girl who wants to get to the high places, and the shepherd's going to take her there, but he doesn't take her by the direct path. There's not like a little, you know, T-bar that leads her up to the top so she can go down the bunny slopes. Nope, it's a winding path, and she feels lost. Why are you doing this? I don't know. The shepherd knows what he's doing. So in the same way. It's funny, we're going to disciple people, but we've got to let them set the pace. But we know where we want to go. We're going to let them set the pace, but we know where we want them to end up. Not Emmaus, but Jerusalem. But to get to Jerusalem, we got to go by way of Emmaus. And there has to be a commitment To be there as long as it takes, to even when it seems like we're wasting time. And this is the insight that I really want to share with you all today that kind of hit me before. I've never thought of it this way. This road to Emmaus, this long passage at the end of the Gospel of Luke, when does this happen? It happens on Easter Sunday, the day of the Lord's resurrection. What does he do? On the day that he comes back from the dead, when he he could be making a victory lap, high-fiving all of his friends, shooting rays out of his wounds, he wastes the whole entire afternoon with these two dudes who've never been in the story before. The only way we know Clopas is because we know his wife. That's like at the end of the big movie, the main character hangs out with two of the guys who were like the janitor in scene three about five minutes into the movie. Not with Peter, not with the other guys, with these two guys. He spends the whole afternoon with them, wasting time, not saying, Oh man, I gotta get back to my apostles. I'm here with you. On Easter Sunday, it wasn't even like Easter Monday. Hey, wait, fellas, I'm going to come meet y'all tomorrow in Emmaus. No. A biggest day of the history of the world, he wasted the afternoon with two unknown dudes. What does that tell us about where we should place our lives and our importance with others? Because so often, we do want the quick path. We want the easy path. We want people to convert like a sledgehammer smashing a rock. Boom! The water's gonna come and tear down those walls. But the reality is, it's often more like erosion. Over time, the water is gonna run over the rock and the rock's gonna break. It's crock pot cooking, it's not the microwave. It doesn't work that way. And it's true for those who've left the church, but it's true for others too. We tell you so many stories, particularly for those who struggle from divorce. And waiting for a stupid annulment it takes so long and they're so angry. I was able to to do this recently with a former student went through a divorce and just the pain and being able to walk with her through spiritual direction. She got her annulment, which took so many years, and then one of the greatest joys to be able to be there in December to do her wedding after walking for. Four or five years to do that wedding it was so worth it so worth it those struggling with addiction with their sexual identity one of the big ways that i've really learned to take the long road is when i was at ul i did a lot of vocation work particularly with women i made my commitment to do it wherever it takes a guy i've worked with a lot of guys for vocations hey you think about the priesthood. They'll be in about six months. With women, no. Not going to work that way. Sometimes two, sometimes three years. Someone asked, Father, what does it take to, to, to direct women from vocations to the, 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 the religious life? It takes time, it takes tenderness, and it takes tissues. <laughs> Lots of crying. But it's good. there has been so much fruit and so much joy to see so many young men that I've worked with now as priests and so many young women as sisters. The real key, though, is working with victims of abuse, particularly sexual abuse and different types of trauma. You know, and I've done a lot of this, walking with them in their grieving process and walking the process of justice. You know, you actually can read about this. There was an article in The Times, so The Advocate a few years ago, (laughs) Of someone who was really hurt on a retreat that we had. Guy was arrested, French national, sconded because of the idiot's DA over to France, never to come back. And so we have been working for five, almost six years now for justice. She's found a tremendous amount of healing, but to all the, the federal courts, local courts, getting articles written, all kinds of stuff. We haven't gotten them yet. Oh, but we're not giving up. Learned a lot about this. The need to walk with people to the end. Particularly for this. Sometimes, people I've been walking with, been over a decade, still haven't changed. Still struggling with addiction. Still struggling with identity issues. We don't give up on them. Jesus is sort of like Moses. We're called to be like Moses. Walking in the desert teaching for 40 years, sometimes going all over. But Moses didn't give up. We're going to get somewhere. We're going to get to the promised land. It just may be a very circuitous route. We have to let them set the pace, though. But another thing to notice from the passage that I think is very important, what do they say at the very end? Once they get to Emmaus, Lord, the day is spent. The darkness has come. That they're walking into darkness. This isn't a journey that begins in the morning. It's the one that begins in the afternoon. By the time they're finished, they've walked into the sunset. We have got to be willing to walk in the darkness with others. That This darkness that we see in this passage is an interior darkness. The exterior darkness reflects The disciples struggle and interior darkness. And Pope Francis has written so beautifully about this. He says, we need a church capable of walking at people's side, of doing more than simply listening to them, a church which accompanies them on the journey, a church able to make sense of the night contained and the flight of so many of our brothers and sisters from Jerusalem, a church which realizes that the reasons people leave also contain reasons why they can eventually return. But we need to know how to interpret with courage the larger picture. He says also, we need a church unafraid of going forth into their night. We need a church capable of meeting them on their way. We need a church capable of entering into their conversation. We need a church able to dialogue with those disciples who, having left Jerusalem behind, are wandering aimlessly alone in their disappointment, disillusioned by a Christianity now considered barren, fruitless oil, incapable of generating meaning. It's the night. It's the darkness. It is not easy to see, for them or for us. So what that means is, is Jesus walked with them Although they carried their burden, Jesus experienced the darkness with them. Just like Moses experienced the desert with them. He bore their burden. Like Simon of Cyrene helping Jesus to carry the cross. We gotta be willing to walk into the darkness and sometimes even in a mystical way, like he did for Saint Teresa, at uh, Saint Teresa Lucier or Mother Teresa, there will be an interior. Experience of darkness. That's the compassion, the willingness to suffer with. But it can be beautiful. There is I'm not I'm not someone who knows a lot about flowers, but there's there's a flower called the moonflower. It blooms in a number of places, but they have it a lot in California. Called a moonflower because it looks like a big white moon, but also because it only sends out its scent at night, and actually only on one day. It's beautiful during the day, but if you really want to appreciate its beauty, you've got to be walking out at night. And I think, as I reflected on that, only those who are willing to walk into the darkness with others will experience the true beauty of the moonflower the true beauty of how Christ encounters other in their darkness. It's something that we won't get if we're only going to say, I'm going to walk with you in the light. We've got to be willing to walk into the sunset. But ultimately, this willingness to journey to accompany offers hope, but what Father Jacques Philippe calls unconditional hope. Hope is the the virtue of the homo viator, the man on the way. Hope is supernatural. One day we're going to get to heaven. One day we're going to get to the heavenly Jerusalem. We need to have hope that we're going to get to our destination, but we also have to have hope in other people. And those disciples who have wandered away from Jerusalem to believe in people, not to give up on them, to see them through their trials and sufferings, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much they screw up or how long it takes to say, hey, you follow and let's get back up. Let's dust ourselves off and keep pressing on. I know it's dark. I know it's getting cold, but we're going to get there. I'm not giving up on you. Father Jacques Philippe writes about this beautifully, but he talks about spiritual fatherhood, a priestly fatherhood, but it can apply to anyone. All of us, whatever our errors or wounds may be, must feel welcomed and loved as we are. The Father never has an attitude of rejection, disdain, hardness, or judgment against another. He even has special affection for the smallest, the poorest, the most hurting. He has a limitless patience founded on hope. He believes in the other even when the other doesn't believe him. I would dare say that a kind of unconditional hope is one of the aspects of unconditional love. It seems to me that here is a beautiful and deep dimension of fatherhood and motherhood, never losing hope for those whom God confides to us as children, whatever may arise. Not giving up on you. I know it's hard, I know it doesn't make sense, but we are going to walk to the end. I'm gonna embrace the suck with you, let's do it. But this is what gives others hope when they realize we're not gonna give up on them. That's what gave these disciples hope. So Pope Francis actually sort of sums up this method. What we can learn from Jesus on the journey as the three steps of what he calls the therapy of hope. The therapy of hope. Sort of summing up everything that we've talked about so far. First, Jesus asks and listens. He listens to their story. Second, in their disappointment, he walks with them. He walks with all people who discouraged walk with their heads low. And walking with them. And the journey and the presence, he is able to restore hope. And finally, he speaks to them above all through the scriptures. Pope Francis mentions not the stories of heroism, but often the stories of failure and defeat. God does not like to be loved as one would love a ruler who leads his people to victory, annihilating his enemies in a bloodbath. Our God is a faint light burning on a cold and windy day. And as fragile as his presence in this world may appear, he has chosen the place that we all disdain. He is present on the road. He's present in the disappointment. He's present in the failure. Because the failure of the cross is actually the victory. That takes a lot of faith to understand. You can't get to the resurrection Unless you have that long road to Jerusalem. Unless you have the cross. So, kind of trying to to wrap all of this up, again, to sort of give us a little word to go home with. Yesterday's word was exodus. We talked about the Greek word hodos, which means the way. So, exodus is the way out. Today is walking on the road together. The word or the prefix in Greek is seen, to bring together. The seen hodos, the synodal way. Oh, my goodness. Not necessarily as some people interpret the synodal way. Synodal simply means I'm walking together with you. We're going somewhere, but I am going to walk with you. The synodal way, a way of discipleship, a way of friendship, a way of listening, a way of accompanying. Jesus says, I have called you friends. C.S. Lewis talks this beautifully. Lovers look at each other in their eyes. Friends look outwards. We're going somewhere. We're going to go there together. But we are going to get somewhere. This is the sin hodos. The walking with each other together, encountering people on their way, even if they're lost. So the last part of today's reading is one I really struggled whether or not I was going to keep it today or bring it tomorrow. But I figured I'd keep it for today. They draw near, again, the same word we looked at before. They draw near to the place they were staying. In Emmaus, the journey's over. Jesus looks like he's gonna kind of walk on. But they say to him, Remain with us. After this long day, it was again it was seven miles, probably the pace they were going, it might have taken four or five hours. Maybe stopping on the way for a little snack or something. I don't know. So they were tired walking that long. It's time to rest, it's time to chill. They didn't, they didn't go straight, as we're going to see, into taking going to bed. They just needed time to rest together with Jesus. And Jesus pretended to walk along, but this was all part of the plan. He's going to let them get there. He said, yes, I'm going to go ahead and stay with you. And this leads to tomorrow and the final night of the mission. Why it's so important and where we're going. And I'll give you a hint. Of what we're going to talk about tomorrow and how I'm going to do my best to tie all of this together. And it's going to be really about the word accompaniment. Talking about accompaniment is a style of discipleship. Accompaniment means you have companions on the road together. Again, breaking down the word companion from Latin, cum with panis bread. The companion is the one who breaks bread with the other person. Accompaniment means, I'm going to break bread with you. I'm going to share panis, bread. This is where we're going. Christ is accompanying them so that they can become companions and break bread together, and he can reveal himself to them in the Eucharist. So this accompaniment... This discipleship, when we lead others or others lead us, ultimately, it's all going to have to end up at the Eucharist. And a strong Eucharistic faith, it is through the Eucharist that we get back to Jerusalem. And hopefully, we'll be able to spend some time reflecting on that. The challenge for y'all is to say, all right, I've gotten two words with Greek sort of roots. What is tomorrow's word going to be? And I'll tell you how I figured out tomorrow's word tomorrow, but I'm not going to do it now. There's one little cliffhanger. Maybe you all can start thinking about it. And if anybody gets it when I tell it to you, you come up and I'll give you a high five. (laughs) I don't have enough money to give you if it was correct. So. Thank you all for listening to this. Hopefully, you come back tomorrow, I guess, in a certain sense. Hey, what have we been doing? We've been walking together these past couple of nights. And so hopefully, all going to come together tomorrow. Thanks for your prayer for me. I uh, pray for you all. And I think the pastor has something to say.